Welcome to Handful. Today is Wednesday, January 13th, and I am your host, Claire. Today's topic is the United States immigration system, its history, evolution, current issues, and potential solutions. This topic is broken into two parts. This is part two, current issues and potential solutions. Yesterday, we reviewed the evolution of the U.S. immigration system. We left off with post-9-11 changes to the system, discussing the implementation of offices such as Immigration Customs Enforcement, or ICE, Customs and Border Patrol, CBP, and the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, or USCIS. Today, we will discuss the road to asylee and refugee status, as well as current issues such as the impact of the Migrant Protection Protocol. But first, let's define terms. An asylum seeker is an individual who is seeking refugee status, but has not yet been legally recognized as a refugee. These individuals can either be at the border or already within the state. According to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, seeking asylum is a basic human right and should not be denied. Asylum seekers may apply to be legally recognized either at a port of entry or after they are already within the United States. In order to be granted refugee status, one must apply and be screened, interviewed, and vetted by USCIS. USCIS has the complete authority to determine eligibility, meaning it is a totally discretionary and subjective process. The individual eligibility officer chooses whether or not to grant refugee status to the applicant. Additionally, the vetting process is incredibly long. It could take up to four years to receive an interview and another two to four years to resolve the case. If it is denied, it can take years to receive a court date, all to potentially face deportation. While asylum seekers already in the country are granted the right to remain in the U.S. during their application process, the government also has maintained that it has the right to detain these individuals. Asylum seekers are often called, quote, the most vulnerable members of society. They are children, single mothers, victims of abuse, and individuals fleeing domestic abuse or torture. So what are the real-world issues with this process? There are quite a few, but one particularly pressing issue that has evolved into a humanitarian crisis at our southern border is the impact of the Migrant Protection Protocol, also known as the, quote, Remain in Mexico program. Passed by the Trump administration in January of 2019, this protocol allows CBP officers to turn asylum seekers away, forcing them to remain in Mexico as their cases are adjudicated. This allows for huge extrajudicial workarounds. If these individuals are not on U.S. soil, the U.S. is not legally liable for any harm that comes to them. It also often bypasses requirements to offer migrants legal assistance as they are not within U.S. borders. Former Secretary of Homeland Security Christian M. Nielsen stated that this program would, quote, address the humanitarian and security crises at our southern border. The goal of the MPP, according to the Department of Homeland Security, is to decrease the amount of individuals taking advantage of the U.S. immigration system and therefore allow more resources to go to those who legitimately need it. However, by sidestepping one supposed humanitarian crisis, the United States has created another. Those asked to await a determination in Mexico are said to receive appropriate humanitarian protections, according to the Department of Homeland Security, but the current conditions are far from sufficient. The majority of these asylum seekers are living in tents, with few clothes and little food. Criminal organizations run many of these camps, kidnapping migrants, sexually assaulting them, and extorting them. 
COVID-19 has ravaged the camps, not only with illness, but with an increase in violence and homicide. Children are not in school and parents are unable to attain Mexican work visas. They can only wait. As of October 2020, over 60,000 asylum seekers are waiting at the southern border for their cases to be processed, which could take years. Many have been living in these conditions for more than a year. To make matters worse, Mexico is undergoing a security crisis of its own, experiencing the highest levels of homicide in 2018 since the country began keeping records in 1997. So isn't this in direct opposition to the idea of non-refoulement? To review, non-refoulement prevents states from forcing individuals to return to a place of risk. It would seem that the situation at the U.S. southern border would qualify as U.S. refoulement. Individuals are being transferred into hostile situations where there are a known danger of kidnapping, disease, gang violence, and other violations. This is not lost on many activist groups. Human Rights Watch encouraged the U.S. to conduct an internal investigation in June of 2020, and multiple groups have brought this issue to court. Activist groups fighting for asylum rights, such as the American Civil Liberties Union, filed a lawsuit on behalf of 11 asylum seekers that won in the lower courts, succeeding in enacting a preliminary injunction to stop the migrant protection protocol process. However, the case has been appealed by the U.S. government, and the Ninth Circuit Court of the U.S. Court of Appeals has given the U.S. a, quote, emergency stay, allowing them to resume. The Supreme Court will hear this case sometime in early 2021. In the meantime, the U.S. government will continue with its current practices. I believe it is important to acknowledge the function of strict border control. It is important to have a vetting system for those entering the U.S. There are criminals, smugglers, and human traffickers crossing the border. There are people taking advantage of the asylum system who are lying or abusing these opportunities. But by no means can this be said to be the majority of people. To turn masses of abused and distraught individuals away only for them to suffer more abuse is criminal. It is also important to acknowledge the multifaceted origins of this issue. Immigration policy, such as the Migrant Protection Protocol, is not novel and cannot only be attributed to President Trump. We must keep in mind that U.S. immigration history contains an underlying goal to keep, quote, undesirables at bay. Although it is easy to use particular individuals as a scapegoat, or to only consider immediate issues, it is vital to keep history in mind. President George W. Bush conducted massive ICE raids, deporting unprecedented numbers of people. President Obama, often thought of as a virtuous liberal, created the cages or ice boxes that are now condemned and developed a no-release policy, detaining families and largely refusing to release them on bond. During Obama's time in office, nearly three million immigrants were deported over the course of eight years. To expect that a change of leadership will change the trajectory of immigration policy in the United States would be hugely short-sighted. The U.S. strict immigration system acts as a scare tactic. If the U.S. can de-incentivize immigration to the states in any way, it will. By creating such a long, dangerous, and potentially fruitless process, fewer people will attempt to make the United States their new home. U.S. immigration policy is a series of deterrents to potential migrants. Yet it is important to acknowledge that a difference can be made. It isn't only about waiting for the law to change or changing the leadership. There are many ways to make a difference. Let's look at a few. First, we can look to the coming administration to make change. In order for there to be an immediate change to the Migrant Protection Protocol, the Supreme Court would have to rule it unconstitutional in early 2021. 
If it is not deemed as such, President-elect Joe Biden would be able to pass an executive order to end the protocol. In terms of border immigration policy, we can look to a new presidency to hopefully make legislative process, either through Congress or through executive orders. Biden has promised to change a variety of current policies, including ending the, quote, Muslim ban, stopping the construction of the border wall, limiting raids, and keeping families together. Biden also promises to restore, quote, sensible enforcement by immigration services. This would mean that Biden would limit ICE raids in sensitive locations, such as schools and workplaces. Hopefully, this would also include better training for the officers so as to limit violence and maltreatment. While encouraging promises, we will have to wait to see if they are acted upon. Another solution is informed voting. In the same vein, it is vital that we put individuals in office who plan to make change in areas we care about. Be sure to research the politics that your representatives and competing candidates stand for and vote for change. Urging individuals from nonprofits or volunteer organizations such as the American Lawyers Association who specialize in these issues to run for government can help shape future legislation. It is paramount that we care about the issues that confront immigrants and refugees, but equally, if not more important, that we care about the individuals running these programs. It is quite easy to research what change needs to be made by politicians, activist groups with a large platform, established lawyers, and high-ranking officials, but it is another to figure out what we can do in our own everyday lives to make a difference. Yes, massive impactful change can be made primarily through legislative routes, but small yet immediate change can be made by anyone. One solution is volunteer work. Many organizations need as many hands as they can get. For pro bono legal organizations such as Las Americas, translators are in high demand. If you are bilingual, consider volunteering to translate documents or help with communications. There are also spaces to volunteer in more administrative roles. Other options are material and cash donations. There are many groups seeking cash donations and everything helps. The International Rescue Committee focuses on reuniting families. Las Américas has multiple programs, including one funneling aid to those forced to remain in Mexico by the Migrant Protection Protocol. Border Kindness focuses on expanding access to medical supplies at the Me Mexican border. Unfortunately, common donations are not accepted at federal detention centers or holding centers. However, there are certain organizations that are able to donate. Make sure you verify with your selected organization if you want to donate to a center. If you are unable to provide cash donations, consider material donations. Many local shelters, such as the Annunciation House in El Paso, Texas, accept clothing and food donations. If you're going through your closet, for example, consider donating your unwanted items instead of throwing them out or selling them. Finally, there is the most cliche, yet arguably the most effective solution, education. Immigration is enormously broad. If we can understand the system, or at least one part of the system, we are well on our way to making change. In order to make change, we must first be aware of the issue at hand. The more people that get behind the issue and bring it to public attention, the greater chance a solution can be achieved. And that's the end of today's Handful. Handful is a production of Novel Hand, where activism meets impact. Check back tomorrow morning for our next episode.